And welcome to episode 37 of the Sodcast. Thank you for joining us. This is your host, Philip Elke, coming to you from Hollywood. And I'm also joined by my co-host for today. Hey, Kara. Kara Deptula. Uh, how are you doing? Thanks for coming and joining me in the studio. Hi, I'm great. Good, good. Yeah, we're just going to have a little conversation today on... The Thoughtcast, Conversations About Animation. And um, our subject for today is something very interesting, something that I had missed for the entirety of my life. We are going back, oh, uh, 37 years now uh, to this film. To 1982. That's a long time ago. Holy crap. Well, yeah, if you haven't noticed from the title of the episode, we're talking about The Dark Crystal, the 1982 Jim Henson and Frank Oz film, uh, the studio that brought you The Muppets. Um, Jim Henson, of course, his name synonymous with Muppets and puppetry. And, uh, you know, somewhat to his chagrin, I think. He, uh, he definitely was a visionary who wanted to be associated with, uh, you know, having a visionary... <laughs> I just used that word. Um yeah, an aesthetic that just uh, transcended the medium of puppetry, but uh, his career was cut a bit short. Um, Kara, how familiar are you with Jim Henson? I mean, I've been at his studios in Los Angeles. They're literally down the street from my apartment. That's right. Yeah, and I know his son, uh, Brian Henson, I believe, does a lot of work in film now, uh, even work in puppetry as well. Um, I don't know that much about the Muppets, honestly. I'm very much a neophyte, uh, but I thought this was a good uh, jumping on point. Very curious. I've watched some Muppet movies, but they are they weigh on the very happy, lighted side. I watched some Fraggle Rock, mm-hmm. um, very happy tone. Dark Crystal was actually supposed to be much darker, just like the Grimm's fairy tale. So he literally meant to scare the children yeah um it's similar to some other films from that era just a very kind of gritty i mean it's all made using practical effects um you know we talk a lot about animation and visual effects on this show and um all of the visual effects here were done you know, using models and uh, optical in-camera effects uh, no computers um, and, yeah, puppetry, puppet animation, I guess um, you could call it. There really was not a lot of conventional animation, you know, like techniques such as stop motion or hand-drawn. Um, but puppetry, you know, counts for the purposes of this show. <laughs> right. It took five years to put this together, whereas with Labyrinth, it took two because they actually – three okay. because they had uh, human actors. Well, yeah, Labyrinth is another name that comes up related to these more serious attempts, you know, serious in that, you know, more more adult themes, more realistic looking creatures, uh, or puppets. Um, so la- there's Labyrinth that the Henson Company was heavily involved in. Uh, the NeverEnding Story, I believe they did a lot of work for as well. Uh, of course, you had Yoda in 1980s, The Empire Strikes Back, uh, which was a um, 
derivative of Muppet technology performed by Frank Oz. Right, and then the Pummings in the movie later became the Doozers in Fraggle Rock. <laughs> That's crazy. I So I, I recently watched a little YouTube documentary about uh, Fraggle Rock and the Jim Henson company. It mainly focused on Fraggle Rock, which was an HBO series from the early 80s. Um, but yeah, I noticed how similar these characters, the podlings, they call them in The Dark Crystal, um, how similar they look to the, the doozers. <laughs> right, they were the very happy-lighted creatures. And they were some of the few creatures from Fraggle Rock that didn't have like the characteristic like bug eyes protruding from the top of the puppets like you know, most Muppets do. So they were able to sort of uh, cross the boundary between, you know, a more realistic production and something that was a little more cartoony. Right. And then they also became the slaves in the movie. So they because they were lighted, the Skeksis wanted to suck the light out of the little podlings because they were bright. Well, and this gets into... Uh, the themes of the Dark Crystal and the um, just very heavy, mythologically laden uh, narrative that the you know Jim Hansen and his company weaves in this film. It's it's an, really an incredible achievement in storytelling, uh, myth, mythical storytelling, uh, good versus evil. Um, it's it is a classic. Hero's journey in the Campbellian sense, um, and it's it's all told through this incredible technology, right? And the narration at the beginning literally happened happened because they screened it to audiences, and no one understood what was going on with the characters at the beginning of the movie. Well, the movie does begin with a heavy amount of narration. Uh, it's a little bit clumsy. I mean this. You know, if this were a perfect film, I think we'd know a lot more about it today. Um, but it was, it's definitely kind of gone under the radar as a cult hit. I didn't see Labyrinth until more recently. Um, Never Ending Story was a lot more of a success. Uh, but yeah, like uh, The Dark Crystal I'd heard of, but never, you know, just didn't have that mainstream appeal. That, it, yeah. it didn't become popular until later, and when audience were when audiences first viewed the film, they did not like it. Mm. It ended up making, I think, fifty million dollars at the box office, and they put about fifteen million into the budget. That's pretty good. It, yeah, it didn't seem like uh, it was too big of a blow then. If that was the case, um, it essentially made its money back. Plus, it's gone on to become a cult hit. I mean, they definitely put just so much intricate work into this film that really, when you do that, when you put a lot of love and care into a film, it'll it'll usually pay off down the road, even if it doesn't find much purchase initially. Jim, ha Jim Henson cared about this movie so much that he ended up going to court for it and buying the rights in court hmm. so that he could have things happen with it the way that he wanted it to happen. Hmm. Yeah, the film, well, 
I, and I wish I knew more about the Henson Company because I, I don't know like how lucrative his endeavors really were. I mean, I know uh, Jim Henson. I think had two films before The Dark Crystal, the Muppet movie, and then The Great Muppet Caper. Uh, the Muppet movie was shot in Los Angeles. The Great Muppet Caper was filmed in uh, England, Elstree Studios, back to back with The Dark Crystal. Um, so these were kind of sibling films. And The Great Muppet Caper didn't do nearly as well at the box office as the original Muppet movie. Right, but he did do Sesame Street, which is still ongoing. That's true. That project was probably the most successful of any Henson project. Uh, yeah, to this day, he's just a big moneymaker. And that's, you know, a co-production with uh, PBS. A few crossover characters, of course, from the Muppets and Sesame Street. But, um, you know, overall, there is a bit of a, you know, a brand distance between the two properties because uh, Disney now owns the Muppets. Uh, they do not own Sesame Street, even if they share, mm. you know, a, a couple char- you know, characters will make cameos. Um, Kermit the Frog is a regular on both uh, in, in both brand, both franchises. Well, there was also the Muppet show that ran for years that came, I believe the Muppet show came along before all the movies. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big deal back in, I guess, the, had it been the 70s? I have absolutely no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, the the first Muppet movie was released in the 70s and then The Great Muppet Caper was 1981. Okay. Yeah. The Muppet movie, 1979. Um the, in February 1978, Jim Henson and his daughter Cheryl Henson came up with the idea for this film. Well, I, I think they had already had the idea, but they really fleshed it out during a, a snowstorm where they were stuck at a hotel. Uh, and they worked out a lot of the film's plot details on uh, sheets of hotel notepaper. Uh, right. Yeah. I think they wrote it fairly quickly and then all of the designs were based off of one image in a children's book yeah there was a heavy influence from illustrator brian froud who i guess was discovered by jim henson six years before the dark crystal was released so i this idea had probably been sort of jostling around in jim henson's mind for a while uh but at least kind of in earnest you know maybe six years that would have been 1976, uh, but but then production really didn't begin until 1979, um, or the, the the work on the film. I I think it went into production. I think in 1981. You know, being that we're now in 2019, for anyone that's going to watch the film from the from the DVD, I almost suggest watching the behind the scenes first so that you have more of an appreciation for how the movie was put together. Because if you're expecting anything like Harry Potter or anything close to what's going on now, that's not what you're going to get. But if you watch the behind the scenes, then you'll have a far more appreciation, a better appreciation for what's going on. Yeah, I mean, the word visionary is appropriate because Jim Hansen really didn't spare any amount of detail in his conception for this world of the Dark Crystal. 
Um, he, he made sure and like went above and beyond to fill in background details and, and backstories and lore to this, what, you know, what he wanted to be a lived in universe, you know, sort of like Star Wars or, or Harry Potter, you know, a lot of these more famous, famous um, fantasy genre um, offerings. And, uh, you know, Dark Crystal was going to be Jim Henson's opus, essentially. And it was very detailed. Some of my favorite parts were actually the little characters that did not have a name that would just pop up randomly throughout the scene. Like, oh, what was that? That was cute. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think part of why it didn't resonate as much as, you know, as, as detailed as all these creatures are and as, like, incredible the designs were um you know deep down you can pretty much tell that it's it's puppets or people in costumes you know manipulating these creatures like puppets and that probably would not have been the approach if this were done from a more conventional studio standpoint but since this was the henson company puppets were their forte and um, that just kind of contributed to the overall aesthetic of the the film and the characters. Whereas you maybe would have had people in masks for some of the characters, stop motion for others, um, you know, mechanical, uh, you know, creatures in other cases. But I think they relied a little bit too much on the puppetry puppets and then also all the scenes were very dark so what they did specifically was add pops of color on the characters and throughout the scene the little fluorescence to add some some life but overall you know it wasn't necessarily a very funny movie <laughs> yeah it was pretty serious um i mean i really enjoyed it i was totally immersed while watching it i wasn't like gaga over it but i um it's certainly something that I would watch again. And I'm excited for the new Netflix series that's coming out. And that's why we're doing this episode, because there's a Netflix series based on The Dark Crystal premiering August 30th. And uh, we definitely want to cover that on the show as well. Uh, so this is kind of our little prelude to that. Right, which is always better if you see the movie before you see the TV mm-hmm. show. Yeah, the TV show takes place i think around a thousand years before this movie does right because um the genesis of the film and then franchise is that you know there's this world the world is called thra and they never refer to it as that in the film but um it's this you know very imaginative alien world uh you know full of fantastical creatures and there's this crystal i don't know where the crystal came from this castle must have been just like this mystical temple where that housed this crystal crystal of truth or something. It was the crystal of truth at the end and but the dark crystal at the beginning. So when, when it, the characters well, it, combine... It only became the dark crystal, though, after it fractured. Right. And so, so they were looking for the shard. What was it before it fractured? Was it the crystal of truth then? I have no idea. Yeah. Well, full spoilers for the Dark Crystal uh, going forward. Um, but yeah, the, it's, it raises a lot of questions. It's deeply spiritual film, a deeply um, you know, tech, textured film, um, a lot of 
just themes relating to you know humanity, duality, um, Eastern mysticism. Right. I'm in the spiritual world here in Los Angeles, and it really replicates what is going on with the dark versus light and how we're actually all one and we need both to to exist. It's actually a necessity, but we're still all one. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly uh, going to be opposing forces of light and dark. Um, it, it also emphasizes that, you know, we shouldn't uh, uh, linger in the, you know, the world of the dark um, as much as that's going to be like a factor in existence. Entropy is just a, a fact um, that, you know, one should always strive for the light. And right, because the Skeksis were all based on the seven deadly sins, and I think they used, there was something about them using nine? Well, yeah, it begins with these races, like these opposing races of creatures. They're like these reptilian creatures, uh, the Skeksis and the Mystics. Um, kind of odd that they chose such a conventional word for one of them, and then just like this wild, made-up <laughs> word for the Skeksis. Right. Um, but th these beings, I guess, were products of the crack in the Dark Crystal, um, and there used to be more of them, but at the time of th this film, around a thousand years after the the great, um, what it, did, was there a word for it? This <laughs> the great fracturing or something? Oh right, the the great con conjuring conjunction. Well, there was the the great conjunction. Right, right, right. Uh, which is the kind of motivating force in this film um, but the you know the original fracturing of the crystal I uh, have a feeling that Agra mentioned what happened when Jen went to visit her yeah yeah I mean at any rate yeah you have these two races and there are only 10 of each at the start of the film and then during most of the film, there's nine because the, the emperor of the evil Skeksis dies right at the beginning. And then correspondingly, the leader of the mystics also dies and he like fades into the, uh, you know, into the atmosphere like Yoda, like a Jedi, like a Jedi. He just uh, dis disapparates. <laughs> right. Um, and yeah, sends the, the lead character Jen on this quest to find uh, the shard to repair the crystal. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, something about the crystal calling or the shard calling. And uh, he also yeah. loses the shard many times, which is very <laughs> typical of these sorts of movies. Yeah. I why why do they begin the quest just then at this moment? Maybe it's because of the great conjunction. Um, and Jen is now ready to embark on his own. Um, it's maybe an auspicious time where you have this leadership change uh, with the Skeksis and this, this castle, and uh, their, you know, their powers are waning. Yeah, it ends up being a um, transitional period for this world, world of Thra and uh, Agra describes it you know 
beginning and all the same, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But, you know, the events of this film are clearly representing the dawn of a new era uh, in Thraw. Right, and they were going to make a, a Dark Crystal 2. Uh, yeah, I mean, it seemed ripe for exploration in future you know, installments, but it just didn't quite have the uh, cultural impact that... Uh, think jim henson wanted and so you know he shifted his focus to other things like like fraggle rock right which was more likely uh i suppose to have children watch fraggle rock i recently watched an episode (laughs) um and i mean it's definitely lighted it's funny it's more for kids yeah i mean this this movie didn't feel too dark like it's very colorful they use special photography techniques to make it colorful um and kira the other lead has Mm -hmm. a connection to nature that makes things very interesting and and light Mm -hmm. yeah they you know it's 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 generally for kids but can be appreciated by adults uh just as the muppets tends to be you know not the most pandering of, <laughs> of content they mm-hmm. try to keep things you know fresh and interesting for older viewers um, I know like when I was growing up I didn't watch the pup as much because it was you know it was just a little over my head I think and my my parents didn't necessarily like how they tried to appeal to older audiences <laughs> either it's it just wasn't as entertaining when they're making all these, you know, adult-oriented, not not in like a, you know, inappropriate way, but just kind of in a obscure way. A lot of references to just pop culture things. And yeah, I don't think I was into the puppet thing either. It seemed very, it wasn't my thing at all. I liked Scooby Doo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the whole puppet aesthetic is, you know, can be a mixed bag for some. Well, I know some people in LA that still do puppetry work. Yeah, yeah, this film was a big departure, but it's it's a lasting art form, and I'm glad to see is getting some um, resurgence with this new series. Right, but there probably won't be any puppetry in the new. Oh, it's all it's series. all done using the same techniques. Oh, it is. Yeah, they're using computers for just certain compositing elements you know so that they can combine just different backgrounds and environments you know and and characters together on screen and you know you probably get to see the female gelflings like use their wings more in in this new one so where did they they shoot that you know the new one Mm, i i don't know uh we'll talk about that when uh we cover it (laughs) but yeah that's a good question yeah, they tend to shoot a lot of mystic sort of things overseas. You know, New Zealand, England. Maybe so. It really is a who's who cast in the new one. Uh, a lot of notable actors, I know. I mean, Mark Hamill is in it. Uh, Natalie Dormer, Aquafina, uh, Helena Bonham Carter, I believe, plays Agra, you know, the, the witch 
in the new one. Oh, that's perfect. So I think she's she's returning. Yeah, yeah, good choice. <laughs> so is Tim Burton involved then in the next Dark Crystal? No, I don't think so. Um, but yeah, so more on some of the characters, you know, you have Jen, a Gelfling. These are elf-like creatures, um, but they're not quite as mystical as like the you know, Skeksis who channel the crystal's power or the mystics who are, you know, these sort of Zen creature, monk-like creatures. But those supposedly supposedly took longer to make. Oh yeah, yeah. The those, unlike these um, Skeksis and Mystics, required numerous performers a, a piece. Essentially, like they had up to six uh, performers per Skeksis. It's, it's singular Skeksis, plural Skeksis. <laughs> That's how bizarre the naming systems are. Was it six for them or six for the or, mystics? Or the mystics. It might have been the mystics. The I mystics, remember. I believe, were the most complicated ones. Because yeah. they were how they were hunched over. So I think they said circus performers they were had, the ones that did that. They had six limbs. The performers had to be super hunched over, like on their haunches when they performed. Jim Hansen describes like his attempt being in a mystic costume and only being able to stand for like 10 seconds <laughs> right when they handle it right when they had to hold their position for one to two minutes mm-hmm. yeah jim henson performed jen and the way he made jen's walk convincing was just to be standing totally upright while he performed the character like if he were hunched over at all as he you know he's kind of used to performing puppets um you know it just would it would look more like a muppet it would just be more exaggerated in the wide shots they had actors in costumes portray the gelflings but otherwise anything up close it was like a raised set and you know filming the gelflings kind of from the waist up with the actors or the puppeteers performing underneath them Yeah, um, let's see. So there wasn't too much of a plot. <laughs> it was more about the characters and the journey and the and the scene. However, there was backstory in terms of spirituality for light and dark. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I like the symbology, you know, crystals and, and power, you know, resonating from nature. Um, you know, the... Uh, Skeksis kind of use magic to prolong their lives, and they're they're these hedonistic, debaucherous creatures. You know, they're shown feasting and uh, you know just indulging all of their whims, um, juxtaposed against like the serene nature of the mystics and the Gelflings. And you know, I mean, the, the <laughs> yeah. dinner table when they were eating was was pretty amusing, and it showed how carniv carnivorous they were it's so ornate and just uh elaborate i I love the designs they use in these sequences i think the design of the skeksis was the highlight of the film for me i don't know about you hmm because they they looked the least like puppets for me i thought they looked like creatures that you would actually see in a, a fully live action film 
Right. They look like a cross between a bird, a reptile, and a dragon. Mm. I like the mystics, except the mystics were so sad all the time. Yeah. Yeah, they were a little bit of a bummer. Um, You had those. Well, I like the puppy dog. Oh, yeah, Fizzgag. <laughs> he was cute. Uh, he was very obviously a puppet. And he, like, rolled around because it would have just been harder to articulate him, like, walking on all fours. Or they would have just had to use, like, a real dog if they wanted him to, you know, run normally like a dog. So they kind of used the cheat effect of just having him curl up in a ball, which is kind of interesting in itself. I loved it. But it is also <laughs> kind of a practical workaround. <laughs> yeah, no, he that was a great character. Scary, too, though, when he <laughs> jumps out on camera when, he, you know, Jen is... In the wilderness. <laughs> I don't know if I was scared. I thought that was really funny. I mean, it's such a <laughs> cute looking creature. Like, as soon as the shock, you know, ends, it you're like, you know, overtaken with the cuteness. I always seem to like the side, the sidekicks and the side characters. In almost every movie, because they always have the humor. So I like comedy. I'm naturally drawn to that. Yeah, the... You know, Wish Agra was a great character, I thought. Um, she was performed by Frank Oz. Um, she's a keeper of secrets. <laughs> um, that was a really cool prop in her, um, her her observatory, I guess. Oh, the big prop. Yeah. The, the spinning it's, space it's, thing. Yeah, it's called an orrery, uh, depicting the heavenly bodies of Thra's solar system. And their positions and movements. Uh, that, that was really interesting. Right. I'm still wondering who built that. Well, it, yeah. I mean, well, here, in terms of the characters. Okay. I, don't know, I, I, I suppose it's assumed that she or some of her colleagues built it. Um, she didn't seem to have any colleagues. Well, it's it's a dying world. So, I, you know. True. And uh, it seems that one of the biggest culprits in, you know, contaminating the ecosystem of Thra is the Gartham. Yeah, Gartham, these uh, beetle-like creatures. They were very striking visually, I thought. Um, I might have liked them the least, but I think those were the ones that were mimicked after lobsters. Yeah, yeah. Who was it? The illustrator, concept designer, Brian Froud, who said he was inspired... Uh, to draw a lot of his designs based on lobsters. <laughs> I mean, a lot of the characters seem like they were from the dinosaur age. Uh, reptiles. Mm -hmm. The mystics looked a little bit like dinosaurs. The uh, they looked like crustaceans. Mm -hmm. The I the ones everything because of the G. <laughs> All the yeah. names were crazy. It's hard to remember the names of the characters. <laughs> yeah, I'm real creative work on this film. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the, an evocative tone piece, really, and kind of uh, incomprehensible at times, very esoteric. And uh, I don't know, I, I really dig that type of thing. But you have to, I guess, ground things a little bit more in reality if you're going to reach a, a wider audience. And this, this just didn't quite have the commercial appeal of something like 
E.T., the extraterrestrial, which was released the same weekend in 1982. Yeah, yeah. And that wasn't perceived quite as um, dark as E.T. scared me. Yeah, I saw it as an adult and it scared me. Yeah. I will never watch E.T. again. I think I cried. My dad made me go. Yeah, it's an emotional roller coaster for sure. Um, I don't know. This movie had a few emotionally resonant moments for me like at the end when the conjunctions occurring and um you had i believe it was the general you know there's a a rivalry for the position of emperor after the emperor dies and he's got like this really cool disintegration death sequence um which i don't know how was how was necessarily accomplished Uh, that might have been um stop motion but like you know, then at the end, the, the new emperor, aka the general, stabs uh, Kira, and she's dying. Um, and like the uh, juxtaposition of like the world crumbling around Jen as he's holding Kira, I thought was was really poignant because like, if I were Jen, like the only thing I would care about in that moment is you know potentially losing this this uh, character, you know, this person who. I, you know, I've got romantic interests and, you know, the rest of the world be damned. <laughs> right. I think I had a feeling that she was going to come back. And so I didn't get emotional because uh, something told me she wasn't going to uh, completely die. Yeah, I didn't think she would either. I was just uh, kind of tuning into Jen's feelings in the moment. And, uh, that, you know, that's what struck me the most. But I, I figured um, they wouldn't end on a note where, you know, the complete extinction of the Gelflings was imminent. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it was very classic uh, fantasy that, you know, <laughs> he encounters the the romantic interests along the journey, even though he thinks he's the last Gelfling. I wasn't sure how I felt about the hologram creatures at the end when they merge. Yeah. I didn't feel like that was well done. I think they could have done a much better job with those. Those were interesting. The Erskex, I believe. Uh, The merging of the light and dark entities of the Skeksis and Mystics. Um, The... Yeah, they they don't look anything like the or the Skeksis or Mystics. <laughs> oh my god, such confusing names. Uh, it reminded me of the ending of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, where all the aliens are like merging together, all the skeletons, and they're like ascending into the higher plane. Uh, that's kind of what these creatures do. <laughs> I mean, maybe if this TV show does well, they will do a dark crystal too yeah the the effect for the erskex wasn't the greatest yeah they were like these translucent um models they they look like groots <laughs> don't you think i don't know what a groot is the tree people groot from guardians oh, of the galaxy yeah. right 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 <laughs> they're tall and have like these this crazy tree hair they weren't pronounced enough they were almost too holographic yeah yeah, they clearly weren't on set. Um, you know, the, the visuals were stunning in this film, but there are, you know, certainly plenty of scenes. You could see a lot of matte lines at times when uh, objects were composited into frame over the top of matte paintings. 
I enjoy the plant life. Oh, yeah, they had a lot of creatures that were also like plants. That was cool. Right, I enjoyed all of that. Anything that was somewhat of a sea creature or a... Uh, yeah, the sea and enemy creatures were cool. Yeah, it's, I think it's because I'm into that sort of thing, though. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, what was the, the creature that began with an N? <laughs> Good luck remembering it. But, like, you see it out in nature, uh, and it's it's like being summoned by... Kira, who has this intimate connection with nature. And then right, the, the next... One, the one in the pond. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like that one. That was great. And then the next frame, it's one of those creatures served up on a platter. Oh, you know what we're forgetting the... to mention? Skeksis. What's that? Was the one Skeksy who tried to manipulate them and say he was the good guy mm-hmm. to get to lure them to the castle. Yeah, you had the sort of sleazy um, scheming Skeksis who wanted, you know, he had ambitions for the throne but yeah, he, he just wasn't strong enough to defeat the general. Right, and I'm going to bring this up because I thought it was really fascinating mm-hmm. how when he went to find them, he said am friendly, am nice, am you know, uh, am gentle. He did not use the word I. Mm. So then at the end, when he was doing all of the evil things and bringing them to the other Skeksis, mm. the Skeksis said, I am the one who brought them in. I. So he started using I and really owning it. Mm. It was really fascinating. And that's a lot of what light and dark does. People don't. It's, you know, it's about owning who you are. And if you're if you're playing dark and you're lying, you're not going to own that with the word I. Yeah, um, while you would think that these, you know, kind of more despicable characters, you know, they'd be very self-centered, egotistical. They also don't have, like, individual names. And all of these creatures are, like, interlinked. So they are kind of lacking individuality somewhat. Um, Visually, they're all distinctive, at least the Skeksis. But... um, they they really own, their names are their titles. Um, I think the mystics have names though. Uh, Urza was like the ancient. Or wait, no. What? There were names because some of them they all had yeah. different healing powers. But whether they mentioned all of the names, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't. It's um. Maybe they don't. I because it says here. You know, performers for the scribe, the alchemist, the healer. Um, but they yeah. they had um, what's the word I'm looking for? Occupations. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Th- that was their distinction as characters. Um, but well, yeah, like he, the the use of pronouns by the chamberlain uh, was kind of uh, conspicuous. I thought. And a big part of it with the whole thing was that the Skeksis were trying to suck the life out of the light so they could find eternal life. So they it wasn't long-lasting. Mm-hmm. So they believed that getting the Gelfin in um, and would cause, by sucking the life out of a Gelfin, it would cause eternal life. Well, they had consumed Gelflings in the past, and those had allowed them to live much longer 
Uh, and then now they were just relying on general wildlife. And, you know, that's what caused the desolation of the, the world around them. You know, the, it's all a desert. Uh, right. And at one point, all the wildlife was mm-hmm. released. And then Kira mm-hmm. could not be hypnotized by the crystal. Yeah, I I don't think that was the case for all Gelflings. Uh, they definitely did use Gelflings for their evil purposes, but Kira was able to resist it because, like, she was able to, I guess, redirect the energy from that beam that was attempting to suck the essence out of her to, like, the animals, and that caused the animals to get all riled up and escape their cages and cause a big you know, ruckus <laughs> in the in the dungeon. Uh, and that allowed her to escape. Yeah, she was able to use some kind of crazy psychic um, channeling to to escape um, brainwashing. Right. Obviously, she was the heroine of the Gelfing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this movie has a lot to do with, like, you know, the, the chosen one, the prophecy. You know, you were the one who's destined, de- well, destiny, you know, destined to... Uh, save the world and uh you know jen initially is the initiator of the the quest but then kira shares just as much in the triumph of the quest certainly she she never really was like a, a damsel in distress or just a you know a sidekick character no why do only girls have wings? I thought only bugs were. <laughs> that part was like great. Oh my god! Only <laughs> girls have wings. Yes, boys do not have wings. As a girl, I thought that's incredible. Yeah. Um, oh well. Just for fun and humor. I don't know. The, uh, the design of the Gelflings is great. I, I mean, I wasn't that familiar with the Dark Crystal, and from like the images I saw, I thought they looked a little uncanny valley ish just based on stills that i had seen of the film but then i saw images from the new series of some of the characters i i follow like anya taylor joy on twitter and i think she shared a picture of like a character she was playing and like these are some crushable looking uh, puppets i mean they're, they're- the, yeah. the Gelfings kind of look like they had a whole lot of plastic surgery. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, they, they look, uh, you know, they look like elves. And, you know, they're right fairly, uh, appe- well, they've got a lot of appeal to their design. Um, and even in this, like the older, it took a while for them to come up with these designs to make them look believable. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, I really like the end result i think in the new one they'll look a little bit more polished than, than these ones were you know they'll have more archi- articulation maybe the textures will be just a bit just a little bit more lifelike right um but these these were impressive like like that first shot of jen when he's playing the flute out by the pool and he's <laughs> naked he looks like a like a ken doll or like one of the puppets from um Team America, <laughs> World Police. Didn't you think? I don't know if I know what you're referring to. Well, you know, when Jen's naked, he looks very plasticky. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Like I said, plastic surgery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, I also like the the banjo, the harp, the wooden flute. I enjoyed yeah. that 
old time take. Some uh, you know, classic medieval fantasy tropes mm-hmm. and, and music. Yeah, the uh, what were they called? Uh, the podlings. <laughs> the podlings raised Kira, and the mystics raised Jen. Um, and you get to see Jen and Kira's parents briefly. They do what's called a dream fast when they first meet. It's right. like the Vulcan mind meld. <laughs> um. Right. So when they were together, I wasn't quite sure if they were going to be more like brother and sister or if it was going to be more of a romantic relationship. Well, if they got to repopulate the world, you know, they can, they're going to have to get down to business. Yeah, no, there's really no choice there, right? <laughs> have to overcome any differences that they might have. There really wasn't much conflict there. You know, sometimes you have those awkward situations where two characters are destined to fall in love and they don't want any part of it. But I liked how these two characters really kind of got on right away. Um, they didn't have much hang up, much in the way of hang-ups. You know, you, you have a dude raised by monks. He's going to turn out pretty well, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the mystics. Yeah. So we're kind of like monks. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I mean, because yeah. in contrast to the Skeksis, <laughs> there's a big difference between the characters. Mm-hmm. I liked how the Skeksis had a lot of articulation in their faces and the mouth. Like, they, they had some pretty sophisticated uh, electronics equipment back then to, you know, create facial features. Um, you know, they could transition between a smile and a frown on the Skeksis. Um, I really like the mystics and the costumes of, the, of those. Yeah. Those, However, they yeah. were so sad that <laughs> I just wanted to help them. Yeah, they they didn't focus as much on the mystics, probably just because they didn't have as, as much of a personality. Um, let's talk about No, the... Be, because the, the dark was overtaking the light at the time. That too, yeah. They were, they were a little under uh, pressure uh, to invoke David Bowie who would then right <laughs> appear in a Jim Hansen creation 7 years later um the uh land stalkers is that what they were called what were they the those were cool the four-legged creatures oh those um land striders yeah they seem least important they're like big praying mantises. They were very uh, Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. They, um, Jen and Kira used them as mounts to get to the castle quickly. I think they were actually, I think I read something that they were based on Star Wars characters. I mean, they're kind of like the Tauntauns or, you know, used in a similar fashion. There is like an obscure alien creature seen in the cantina that they definitely remind me of. Um, I don't know if I can think of the name. Maltals, I think, is the name of the creature. Uh, And that's just how much of a Star Wars nerd I am. Oh, right. That Um, stuff I'm not going to know. That kind of, yeah. Although I know people that worked on the first Star Wars. That was a very long time ago. These guys... Don't you think, like, this is a bipedal, kind of like a bipedal-looking version of the Land Striders, don't you think? Oh, yeah, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. 
Yeah, the towels. But they don't have the the stilts, you know? No, no. I, I think there is an alien from Star Wars similar to the towels, but they're quadrupeds. Um, I feel like those are the ones that they... Yeah, yeah. More in the expanded universe, certainly, they have aliens. I mean... The Dark Crystal could just be Star Wars, <laughs> but like just some obscure planet, you know, off in the unknown regions and it just hasn't been discovered by the rest of the galaxy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, that'd be interesting. I'm, I'm excited to explore this world of Thra. I don't know about you, Kara. Do you plan on catching up with the series? I hope so, so that we can come back and talk about this. Right. I think to compare and contrast would be fantastic. Yeah. That comes out October or August 30th on Netflix. So, yeah, the series is directed by Louis Leterrier and um, starring Aquafina as the collector, Catriona uh, Balf. Uh, not sure who she is. I don't. These are all. Oh, these are all <laughs> alphabetical. So, um, question as to the importance necessarily of each of these actors. But lots of people I recognize in this cast, and I don't know who's necessarily returning to perform from the Henson Company. If Frank Oz is you know, Jim Henson died in 1990, unfortunately. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, who. Taron Edgerton, he, he plays a character named Ryan. Natalie Emanuel from Game of Thrones. Harvey Firestein's in it. David Dave Goals, he's a Henson Company veteran. Right. Um, is that how you pronounce it? Dave Geltz? Geltz? <laughs> Goals. He's, he's been doing a lot of voices for years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does the voices for characters too. Um, if I just click on his profile here, I'm sure... The, oh, Gonzo, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Dave Dave Gels. I'm See, sure. there's the Muppet Show. Um, Mark Hamill, Lena Headey. Yeah, I'm just I'm not much of a Muppet devotee. Jason Isaacs plays the Emperor. Just a real who's who. Toby Jones, Keegan Michael Key, and <laughs> it's Keegan so Michael Key. Google, Google, uh, Google Ra, Simon Pegg, Andy Samberg, Anya Taylor Joy, Mark Strong, Sigourney Weaver, Alicia Vikander, um, Benedict Wong. But like in the original, the actors, the voice actors who played Jen and Kira, each of their profile pictures on IMDb is just their characters from the Dark Crystal. That's hilarious. They weren't known for anything else. <laughs> I mean. You know, they did other work, but primarily they were uh, Jen and Kira. Um, let's find their names here quick. I mean, unless they did voice acting. Yeah, Stephen Garlick did Jen, the voice of Jen. Lisa Maxwell did the voice of Kira. Billy Whitelaw was the voice of Agra. Um, Barry Denon is Chamberlain. Um, yeah, not no one <laughs> I recognize, honestly. Um, Joseph O'Connor was the narrator. Uh, the, I, I like the voice of, I, I think it was the high priest. He had a really deep, resonant voice. Jerry Nelson. He reminded me a bit of um, Lance Henriksen, 
who plays Bishop in the Alien movies. Uh, just a great, great voice. Oh, uh, yeah, Jerry uh, Jerry Nelson does Floyd Pepper on the Muppet Show and the Muppet movie. Oh, the guy in the audience. Yeah, I guess. Uh, Is that Floyd, one of the guys Floyd from Pepper? the balcony? Uh, no. What are their names? Um, I'm blanking right now. I really wasn't a Muppet person. Yeah, I liked Fozzie Bear though. Me neither. No, no, I liked well, oh, Fozzie oh, Bear. Yeah, yeah. I, I... <laughs> I mean, we're gonna have to throw down if you don't like Fozzie Bear. No, no. Uh, I, I was responding to the to the first comment. I know, but Fozzie Bear was amazing. <laughs> Um, who who were the the two, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern? No, that wasn't their names. Um, anyways, Statler, Statler and Waldorf, and uh, I guess in Muppets, Muppets in Space, Muppets from Space, Jerry uh, Nelson played Statler. I think the only one I saw was maybe Muppets Take Manhattan. Okay. I really haven't seen many Muppet movies. What have I seen? I feel like I've maybe seen one or two all the way through. I probably saw the Very Merry Christmas Muppets. None of the recent ones, like the the Jason um, Siegel Muppet movies. I I did not. Um, I did not get to. And I, you know, those were a little bit of a disappointment at the box office. So Disney really hasn't done much with the property since then. They did that revival of the muppet show and that didn't last for very long either oh they did I yeah i hear about that one yeah no it uh mm-hmm. it was just a flash in the pan and uh so that brings us to our conclusion and you know the uh rare case of a property that isn't owned by disney <laughs> that uh, hopefully will have some degree of cultural uh, impact but we'll see hopefully it's good they certainly certainly invested in their voice cast in this one yeah any final thoughts Kara? i mean i hate to be boring and say no but uh-huh. no i think we covered everything that i wanted to any anything further related to the symbolism and like the the mystical subtext of of the dark crystal. I think we actually covered all of it. It's very simple about how we're really all one. And light and dark are necessary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, uh, you know, the the concept of the pagan duality and uh, dialectic, but also synthesis that we, we should strive for. You know, this transcendent truths of uh, of unity and you know and, and um merging with the light and all that um well i guess we'll uh sign off for now but kara where can people listening find you oh well my instagram is at kara deptula c-a-r-a-d-e-p-t-u-l-a awesome well, thank you all so much for listening to the Thodcast, Conversations About Animation. Follow us on social media at Thodcast on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me, Philip Elke, uh, at Philip Elke on both of those platforms. 
You can listen to the Thoughtcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and uh, visit our website, Thoughtcast.com. And, uh, well, that was our talk about puppets and uh, <laughs> maybe more on this subject in the future once I get more acclimated with it. Uh, so, goodbye for now. You all have a... Uh, I know, you know, we could totally do Labyrinth. Oh, yeah, we should do that. I would watch Labyrinth. That's soon. Um, yeah, stay tuned for more Thoughtcasts. You all have a magical day and a wonderful week. Bye.